And I just want to say a quick shout out to Amy Tang for suggesting the topic of today's episode. I uh, really, really, really appreciate that. If any of you guys have um, suggestions for topics you think we should talk about, feel free to suggest them in the comments or send us a DM. Uh, this one's for you, Amy. Yeah, so today we are talking about, and this goes by a couple different names, mental fort uh, fortitude, resilience, mental toughness, whatever you want to call it though, it's all the same underlying thing. Mm-hmm. And as I think the best way to start this would be with a clean, concise definition of what exactly we mean. Okay, I have a definition here, so I'd be curious to hear yours first. Okay, so... Um, I'd like to define mental fortitude as the ability to focus on and execute solutions when in the face of uncertainty or adversity. Um, yeah, it just... Oh, actually, let me hear yours first, and then I'll just like talk a bit more about mine too. Yeah, for sure. I had, in one word, resilience is toughness. This includes the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties and the ability to perform under pressure as well as staying the course even when things get tough. It's kind of like a, yeah, I kind of cheated. I used three definitions there, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, or at least listening to it, it sounds like pretty much the exact same thing I said, just in different words, exactly, using different yeah. words. Yeah. Um, and I guess in hearing the definitions, or at least from mine, like the first thing that came to mind was a more professional business setting and what it would apply to. But if you kind of take a step from the, I guess it's, it's the surface level reading of it, Mm-hmm. It's something that can really be applied to a lot of different areas in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, even, for example, like you're trying to pick up a new skill. Let's mm-hmm. say you're trying to learn programming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's easy in the beginning, especially like, you know, LinkedIn. We talked about this. Everyone's out here, master coders on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. It's easy to feel um, a huge sense of uncertainty in starting it, especially when you realize that you're not as good as you expect it to be. Everyone expects that they're going to be a master the first time around. Yeah, definitely but not the case with anything. Definitely not the case, especially with something as kind of abstract as coding, where you know it's it's almost like a re- reflection of a mode of thinking, right? Right, for sure. Yeah. Um, but being able to just grit your teeth and work through that initial friction, that initial um, like adversity, because it's so easy to just um, default to the excuse, "Oh, I'm not smart enough." Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. this just isn't for me I'm not a coding person I'm not a programming person it's easy to default to those so you can mm-hmm. just get an easy out from that from that pain from that struggle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it's important to have that mental fortitude to be able to persist through it so that you know you can come out um, a better person at the end of that no definitely and honestly the first thing that comes to mind when I hear like mental fortitude mental resilience and all that is the concept of grit which I'm sure you're familiar with And that's one of the things I wanted to like really focus on in our discussion today. Um, So for those of you who aren't familiar, grit, um, grit is a term popularized kind of by Angela Duckworth. She has a book out. It's called grit. Um, I I forget what the subtitle is, but it's called grit. Um, And she also has a very, very popular TED talk. I think it's the most watched TED talk or maybe it's in the top five most watched TED talks ever. Um, And she, she talks about grit there as well. But grit is essentially the world's best predictor of success. It predicts success more than talent or IQ. Um, And it's kind of part of this larger movement of positive psychology, which kind of defines the field of psychology right now. Uh, Positive psychology is fascinating. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that. 
But just a quick summary for this episode. Um, it was pioneered by Martin Seligman and others, and who's currently the president of the American Psychological Association uh, since 1998. And it has to do with focusing on uh, kind of how to like get the best out of human beings and focusing on positive emotions and reinforcing those positive emotions. Um, so grit is one of those things. Uh, grit can kind of be defined as, you know, like resilience, toughness, uh, kind of all the things we mentioned. Um, and somebody who's gritty is somebody who really sticks with things through thick and thin and really, really tries and works hard to improve on it. Um, and there's a, like, obviously, obviously I highly, highly recommend the book by Angela Duckworth. It, it does a really great job explaining it more in depth. But I think there were a couple um, case studies that I think were really, really uh, interesting and, and just kind of poignant, especially speaking to the analogy you just talked about with coding. So like you mentioned, a lot of people like to you know have this cop-out answer that, oh, I'm not a coding person or, oh, I'm not a math person. Um, and I think this kind of stems from this like society that we've built around with the idea that like people have these identities, right? People have this identity like, oh, I'm a smart person or I'm not a smart person. And we have these kind of myths that we tell ourselves. Uh, but in reality, like these things are, you know, like they're not real things at all. Like they're completely made up and they're like labels that we label ourselves with that kind of like prevent us from being the best versions of ourselves. So the case study um, or this like actual research study that she mentioned specifically is uh, was a really interesting case of pra praising kids for work versus praising kids for being smart. So essentially it was an experiment done on, I think grade one or two kids working on puzzles. And the first round, you know, and obviously this was randomized and controlled for things like IQ, um, things like, um, like socioeconomic status, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But so they got this group of grade two kids working on some puzzles and they gave them, you know, sort of like a medium difficulty puzzle to start with. And everyone got the same puzzle and when you controlled for every uh, different variable, there was about even performance, right? Um, some people did good, some people did bad. In general, it was kind of like all the same performance. Um, and then what they did was after this puzzle was finished, they told the kids that did well, half the kids that did well, they told them that uh, they did great because they were really smart. They were really, really smart kids. And the other half of kids that did well on this puzzle, they told them that they did well because they worked really, really hard. And they were like, congratulations, like you did really great because you worked really hard and you stuck with the problem and you really, really tried hard. And the other kids, yeah, they're just like, oh, you're so smart, you did so great, you must be so smart, right? Um, and then they, a week later, um, they gave them another test. And these same kids, and this test was a little bit harder than the previous puzzle they had gotten. And this same group of two kids that had done identically on the test, but just had gotten different levels of praise and different forms of praise. Um, it turns out the group of kids that was told they worked hard performed way, way better on this test uh, than the kids who had been told that they were smart. And so kind of the reasoning behind this is that um, saying someone is smart is kind of like an identity-based model of praise. When you say someone is smart, they start associating themselves as a smart person and they kind of like take that on as a part of their identity. When you tell somebody that they're a hard worker, they take that on as part of their identity. So what happens is that when kids um, get this harder test and they start struggling on it, the kids who are told that they're smart are like, wait, I'm smart. If I'm so smart and this test is really hard for me, either I'm not smart and they lose all their self-confidence or 
this test is bullshit and you know it's not even an accurate representation and it doesn't really matter because i know i'm smart anyways right versus the kids that were told that they were hard workers when they do this test they take it as a challenge and they're like hey you know i'm a hard worker so like i should be able to work hard and solve this challenge and i think this is such a such an important concept and definitely something that i'm going to implement you know when i have kids hopefully or you know if i'm ever in a teaching scenario um although that's definitely far away um but i think more largely it kind of speaks to like when smart is something you are and when you lose that part of who you are you you lose like part of your identity smart shouldn't be part of your identity smart should be what you do and i know that you have a lot of thoughts on this but i'm just going to close close that like kind of section with a quote from Chris Hadfield that I think is, is really, really poignant and really speaks to this scenario. Uh, and he said that early success is a terrible teacher. You're essentially being rewarded for a lack of preparation. So when you find yourself in a situation where you must prepare, you can't do it. You don't know how. And, you know, Chris Hadfield is like one of the most famous astronauts. He's Canadian as well. Shout out Canada. Um, Shout out Canada. But this quote is just like one of my favorite quotes of all time. Um, because like... I must, I must like admit that I've had some experiences with this as well. Um, and I know you have too. So yeah, tell me more about some sort of your personal experiences with that. Wow. So there are like, you touched on so many different areas and just that one little tirade there. Yeah, my bad. Um, <laughs> I kind of went off. No, no, no. <laughs> it's sick. It's sick. Cause like there's so many different things that I want to talk about here. Um, mm-hmm. So let me try and organize my thoughts. Um, I'll kind of backtrack a bit to what you started with and then, We'll work our way towards the Definitely. latter yeah. part of what you yeah, said. Yeah, your so, thoughts on all of it, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I just wanted, I love that you um, brought in positive psychology into this. Mm-hmm. And I 100% uh, think we'll be doing an, an episode dedicated to it mm-hmm. um, in the future too, just because it's just, it's a huge thing. Um, and it was probably my favorite course that I took in my undergraduate uh, career. No, you took a course on that. I actually didn't know that. On positive psychology, yeah. That's so, awesome. Yeah, I love that you brought it up because... So one of the things that we were learning about, um, as I recall, is mm-hmm. how self-esteem ties into this. So there were actually studies um, conducted into this where it showed that people who had higher self-esteem were willing to um, endure more suffering. Mm-hmm. And they were able to persist with problems longer um, rather than giving up early mm-hmm. amongst a slew of um, other things. So that's there to kind of reflect the idea of grit that you brought up. Mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. with higher self-esteem basically are people who have a higher, uh, higher grit, people who have higher grit. And then by extension, higher mental fortitude and mental resilience. And by extension, yeah. yeah. So there are these kind of different threads that all tie into the overarching idea that is mental fortitude. Right. Um, and that's why it's important to, rather than just going for like the lofty goal of of being someone who has rigorous mental fortitude mm-hmm. you want to start from the bottom up start with smaller habits Jeez. that can help build your self-esteem yeah and then eventually by extension and by experience you will build up that mental fortitude mm-hmm. eventually um the I, I can't remember the what the next thing specifically mentioned was but uh it, re- it brought to mind um the book the magic of thinking big mm. <clears throat> because there's a lot of ways where we just sell ourselves short and we don't even realize that we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And one of those things is that even when it comes to p- 
people who you know they look successful on the outside or they look like they're really proficient in certain areas Mm -hmm. and they believe that they're good too so for example like if you think you're a good writer Mm -hmm. and you keep putting out work and you uh, you're confident in your writing ability but for some reason you're still kind of taken aback at the idea of even being better than the greats like for some reason people just stop short there like they it's inconceivable to them that despite their proficiency in this skill despite being good at writing they couldn't be better or like the next Hemingway or Orwell or like any of these other great literary um artists of the time and that's one of those things that you're automatically you automatically lost like you've already failed before you even begun because you don't even give yourself the opportunity to try and you miss out on so much potential growth during that time which i want to tie into the last thing that you mentioned is with the kids right so the i guess like the typically the reason we praise people for their intelligence as opposed to effort Mm -hmm. is that i guess we we tend to compliment in people the things that we want to enforce in them or reinforce in them. Mm-hmm. So we want to reinforce in them that that they are smart people, that they are oh, intelligent. 100%. Yeah. Which is it's misleading because yeah, like so many people end up hinging their self identity on that, especially growing up during those formative years. Like our parents mean well when they do it, saying, mm-hmm. Oh, you're so smart, you're so intelligent, um, you're gonna, you're gonna do this, you're gonna do that. Mm-hmm. And they want the best for us, but it is a bad way to go about it because as soon as we encounter situations that don't lend itself to um, basically corroborating that this this not not myth this uh, this narrative that's been constructed to for us by our parents, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it we break down. We lose all sense of self worth during that um, that point, which is why like I think for first year university for a lot of people it tends to be yes, especially that, that, difficult. That's exactly the transition I had written in mind, like. I think so many people can personally relate mm. to this when, you know, either first year or second year in university, when things start getting hard and they realize they just can't coast anymore. That's when a lot of people like lose that part of their identity. They're like, oh, well, I used to be the smart kid, but now I'm one in a hundred thousand smart kids, you know, across the country. Exactly. Or it is. They're like, you know, like 10,000 in your university or whatever. And like, that's such a defeating feeling for so many people because it's literally losing a part of your identity. Uh, but real quick, I just want to take it back to what you said about, you know, when we label ourselves, what we're actually doing is making a value statement about somebody mm-hmm. else. And I think, well, first of all, that's so true. Like everything that you see in everyone else is somewhat of a reflection in your own values or your own judgments. Um, you know, getting into some Buddhist monk mentality there. Um, but of course, I, there's a really, really great excerpt from Grit on this subject. And it's uh, we tend to fetishize talent because it protects our ego. If other people's successes are due to their inborn natural talent, then we are at an inherent disadvantage and thus we don't have to feel bad about being worse than them or not measuring up. And I think that's so powerful. So many people say that. They're like, oh, well, you're a math person and like, I'm not. So, you know, obviously you just got perfect on that test without even trying. But like, man, I actually have to work for it. So whatever, right? Or like, you know, vice versa. Like some people think they're better than, and man, it's gonna sound so stupid. And, you know, I'm not trying to be cocky <laughs> at all, but I used to be that kid that was like, you know, I got a 92 he got a 98, but yo, I studied an hour and he studied for eight hours. So actually I'm smarter than him. And like, man, that's the most toxic shit. The to- most toxic shit you can say oh, yeah. ever. Um, oh and, yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that to, to say I'm smart. Like at the end of the day, like I'm not. And 
I, I did worse than him, <laughs> you know what I mean, or her uh, on that test. And so like, obviously that was the wrong decision, but I think this is the literal opposite of mental resilience. Um, instead of striving for something and instead of building that determination, you're building a cop out, you're building an excuse for yourself, you're building, you know, a false sense of superiority, like, and, and in my opinion, that's way worse than, you know, like, it's one thing to build self-confidence and another thing to build a false sense of superiority. And those are completely different things. And one is mental resilience and the other is delusion. Yeah. Um, so I guess in a moment of vulnerability, uh, mm -hmm. if I, like, I just want to share something, I guess, from my own experience, mm -hmm. um, which actually ties in like really well to this. Mm -hmm. So I was like one of those kids that like, growing up where I was constantly praised by my parents, like, oh, like, you're, you're so smart, whatever. You just keep getting those good grades, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And that, I really embraced that as my identity because, you know, like, being, again, like, I, I don't consider myself smart by any means. It just, maybe I, I was just like a big fish in a small pond, right? Mm -hmm. and, so you're saying Brampton is a small pond. <laughs> this is, just just for the record you know, I I wanna, yeah I hopefully none of them quick. listen yeah hopefully for those of you who don't know listen. Brampton is a, a small suburb of Toronto you know <laughs> one that we don't really like to consider part of Toronto but anyways we'll continue on but it is officially part of Toronto <laughs> uh no it's not actually but <laughs> anyways continue continue yeah so and again like so I would be I would hear that from my classmates as well growing up right mm -hmm. and I realized after doing like after going through like the whole first year experience that we described like i it destroyed me too like i lost my sense of self identity mm -hmm. um through that experience and i kind of had to rebuild myself from that point and it gave me a great um it, it gave me a great moment of reflection mm -hmm. and i realized that i wasn't obsessed with being smart i was obsessed with sounding smart Mm. And like, I think there's an ex important distinction to me be made there because mm -hmm. really being smart, I think, is reflected in having a growth mindset and being in love with the whole process of learning. Mm -hmm. Whereas like sounding smart, you're just kind of doing things to regurgitate them to other people. Like you're mm. just kind of learning for other people. And anything that kind of if somebody challenges you or if anybody that might very well be smarter than you kind of pops up on the scene you almost take that as a personal affront to yourself mm -hmm. and you get defensive about it right as opposed to being open to seeing what you can learn from a, from that other person and acknowledging that they know so much that you don't mm -hmm. coming from a place of learning mm -hmm. um and yeah like it was such a like again like a toxic mindset to be a part of mm -hmm. and which is why like you know reflection is great for moments like these so you can expose these holes in yourself for sure yeah i i don't know do you have any thoughts yeah on man i think that's that? so powerful thanks for being vulnerable uh you know that's that's tough to it's a tough thing to admit um but you know like you grow from things like that right being able to admit that and i think you know the fact that you're admitting that has shown that you have grown into a state where like you know you're not ashamed of that thing but you're rather taking it as like a stepping stone to become more resilient to become you know to improve right and i think it's so yeah. so true is what you said about like just like attaching that sense of identity to yourself and seeking to validate that identity. And I think that's the biggest stifler of growth. Like when you tell kids that they're smart and, you know, they start believing that they're smart. Uh, one of the things that, that happens like, and you know, with those grade two kids taking that puzzle test is when that test is hard, like they're not really seeking to like enjoy the challenge and beat it and like show their growth. 
they're trying to validate that they're smart. So if it's not if it's not working out, they're like, well, it's it's a bullshit test. I'm I'm smart. Like this is wrong. And you hear that so often when in arguments and stuff. You're like, well, you know, you're just wrong. Like, like you just don't you don't know what you're talking about. But it's like when you argue something like that, you're supposed to provide evidence. You know, you're supposed to back up your points. If you can't back up your points, you know, you're supposed to give somebody else the floor and like try and learn from their perspective as well. And like, it's all towards like a never ending cycle of growth, right? And I think grit and mental resilience and the growth mindset go hand in hand. And they're probably like some of the central, that and flow are like probably the central tenets of positive psychology, which we'll, we'll talk about probably more in, a, in another episode. But mm-hmm. um, Angela Duckworth herself, like, you know, talks about the growth mindset quite a bit in her book. Um, and she frequently references Carol Dweck, who wrote the book Mindset, which talks more about, you know, the growth mindset right. and focusing on improving and focusing on, on what you don't know and what you can learn from somebody. Um, but yeah, I, just, I think that's so cool. Um, kind of going back more a little bit on topic with mental resilience. Uh, I think uh, one of the key things about mental resilience and specifically about a grit within mental resilience is um, the idea of effort. And we've kind of made that distinction between effort and, um, you know, inherent talent or intelligence or whatever that is, right? Um, and she has a, a pretty cool formula. Um, she has like her she has like a model for like, you know, people who achieve high, highly. And her, her model is skill is equal to talent times effort. And achievement is equal to skill times effort, right? So if you take that, uh, what you realize is that effort actually counts twice as much as skill or as talent, you know, inherent talent obviously helps with something or like, you know, being six foot seven, I think you have like a, what is it? Like if you're seven foot, you have like a 13% chance of being in the NBA if you're a male in the u.s really yeah it's <laughs> is that ridiculous. An actual stat? seven wow. foot tall i don't quote me on this exact number but i remember it's something close yeah to that. if you're seven foot tall there's somewhat something like a 13 percent chance that that's you're gonna high be which is wow. ridiculous yeah yeah um, so you know obviously like we're not we're not here to say that there aren't inherent qualities in a human being although i think like having a math brain versus not having a math brain that's bullshit but um oh, yeah. you know there are inherent differences between you know some humans right that's just natural with genetics but uh, what's key here is that, yeah, if you say skill is equal to talent times effort, effort is a factor there for sure. And then achievement is equal to whatever skill you've built. So talent times effort times, uh, or a- achievement is equal to skill times effort. So skill times effort times talent times effort is achievement. My bad. This is a, a long mathematical equation now, but uh, <laughs> the point is effort is a lot more important than talent. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if you've kind of experienced that in your own life on like something that you you know started out not so talented on and then got better at or like like you you mentioned as well the transition to to university kind of really shows you the value of that effort yeah um so i guess i also want to just mention briefly to i guess just tying it into the idea why i think that everybody should have kind of audacious goals for themselves mm-hmm. Once you can build up that, that like resilience, that like self esteem in yourself, um, which I guess like first start small, of course, mm-hmm. start with small achievable goals that you can set out for yourself, and um, that's one of the the strategies you can have in place to help build some mental fortitude is mm-hmm. being as specific and define things to at, at the very granular level, mm-hmm. so that you'd leave less room for. Um, like for reaction and just floundering about Mm -hmm. if you can be specific about the exact strategies that you want to implement to reach that 
that goal, mm-hmm. then you're that much more likely to achieve that sense of success. Mm-hmm. And in those smaller victories, you slowly start to build up more and more um, esteem in yourself. Mm-hmm. So you can even break down that audacious goal into smaller, tiny, measurable goals along the way too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important for people to have audacious goals for themselves just because you know, there are a lot of times where we just sell ourselves short too. Just kind of going back to that idea of not even thinking that we could be better than the greats. For sure. Give yourself an excuse to see what you're capable mm-hmm. of. And, you know, I guess I, if I can just tie that into what I define success as. Mm-hmm. My definition of success, and I'm curious to hear yours too. Oh, uh, no, you're going to put me on the spot like that. This isn't I'll an interview. You on the spot. We had our interview episode already. <laughs> You always got to be ready, though. So my definition (laughs) of success is basically being everything that I'm capable of being. Being the best version of yourself. Being the best version of myself. Um, And I think that it's so important because um, I guess tying it to the Nietzsche quote, um, if we if we do not become everything that we're capable of being, we will be unhappy the rest of our days. Hmm. Because, you know, you'll always have that kernel of doubt in the back of your head. Yeah. You know, what if I actually did seriously pursue programming? Like, what if I really did put my effort into learning how to play the piano? Right, right. Like, all these different things. Who knows what level of mastery you could have achieved? For sure. And do you, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on my deathbed thinking, oh, like, I wish I kind of picked that up oh, you know, back 100%. when I was young. And Man, those regrets are going to kill you, for sure. That's what I'm saying. And so, like, why leave room for it? You hear it all the time. All like, the time. Like, what people regret what they didn't do, not what they did, right? So yeah and so that's the thing you kind of want to let your life be dictated by the things that you did do and not by the things you didn't do Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. man you're inspiring me i have a couple decisions i've been lacking on you know (laughs) uh, we talked about a couple though i'm not gonna say them over the podcast yeah but uh definitely definitely gotta take you know take the decision by the reins and and really drive forward to like not have that regret right exactly so what would you putting you back on the spot say is your definition of success definition of success is actually very similar honestly like i i agree i think that should be part of anyone's definition of success like being the best version of themselves but um i kind of frame it in a different way i think for me it's uh embodying my values fully to to the greatest degree um mm-hmm. and so i talked about this with a couple of friends recently actually but uh, a practice i do is uh every year i and this is a little bit off topic, but, you know, I'll, I'll take the question. Um, <laughs> a practice I do every year is I lock myself in my room for, you know, three to four hours with uh, a notebook and a pen and nothing else. And what I'll do is I'll try and really appraise what my value system is right now. And I'll keep my paper from last year in, in the same notebook or in a different notebook or online, whatever it is. And I'll go through, um, you know, just like a self-reflection period where I'm like, you know, what are the values that I want to embody and what, and then, you know, I'll list them out and I'll really analyze like, you know, why do I want to embody these values? And then I'll look at my values from last year and I'll say, you know, what's the difference between the values from last year and the values from this year? Why do you think, why do I think these have changed? What, what do those changes say about me as a person? And then I'll evaluate myself. I'll be like, you know, have I performed in the last year to these values? Like, did I follow up on, you know, I said I really valued, I'm going to use honesty as an example because it's just like an easy value, right? Like people want to be honest. And I'm not saying I'm not honest, but, uh, you know, like let's say like <laughs> last year, I, I don't feel like I lived up to my value of honesty. Then maybe I want to reflect and be like, 
you know, I don't think I value honesty as much as, as I, I said I did. And, you know, that was reflected by my actions. And honestly, I didn't do a great job. And so is this a value I want to take forward with me into this year? Um, and this doesn't have to be like year to year, like right. calendar year, right? It can be whatever point you want in your life. It can be more than, you know, yearly. Um, and I encourage you to do some, you know, some kind of self-reflection more than yearly. Um, but this is like a project or like some, just some, like a practice uh, that I found really, really helpful. And yeah, to answer your question, like I consider myself a success. If at that year I can look back and say, you know, I really, really embody these values, what, whatever it may be, like conscientiousness, like in my career. And I try and be specific about these values. I don't, I'm just like, well, I value integrity. Like, yeah, everyone values integrity. Like what, what does that mean? You know? Um, yeah. And I try and be specific about that. So yeah, that to me, that's what success is. When I look back on my year and I'm like, yeah, I embodied these and I fucking crushed them, you know? So yeah, first of all, like I love that. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Course, um, yeah. And it, it does tie well again back into the topic too, because I feel like one of the conditions that you have to meet in order to build up a sense of mental fortitude is that you have to be able to openly and honestly engage in self-reflection um, and self-evaluation. Because you know, first of all, mental fortitude inherently means that we have to be able to operate with honesty and integrity. Because we have to be able, if you're mentally tough, you have to be able to look in the mirror and examine where you have room to improve. For sure. Otherwise, you're just, you're kind of lying to yourself. And again, you're just, you're just coasting through life if you think that there's no room for you to improve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like to perform well doesn't require perfection as much as it does the, the humility to know what is and what is not achievable in a given moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there's like if we just don't engage in any of that self evaluation, it shows that we're really just not interested mm-hmm. in gaining um, the awareness or information to know how to assess how well we're performing. Yeah, and totally. yeah, one great way to start doing that too is you know, we we oh yeah, we will have released the, our meditation episode by this point. <laughs> yeah, sorry, um, it's not released yet, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, meditation is a great um, just practice to start engaging with just because the highest level or the highest goal in meditation is to be able to practice it during your active life during daily living Mm -hmm. so as you're going about your day to be able to be cognizant of the ways that you're thinking the thoughts that are passing Mm -hmm. through your head and being non-judgmental about it so you can see exactly what you're thinking of and it's just not you're just kind of reacting to everything you're able to respond appropriately Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what I love about meditation, it gives you the the awareness and the self-control to be able to realize when you're about to react toxically to something. Mm-hmm. Or, for example, if someone's blowing up in your face, you know, it takes a lot of mental resilience to not just break down and start crying or, you know, just start yeah. reacting emotionally. Um, to be able to respond to people in those situations with compassion is such a uniquely beautiful trait that very few people have Mm -hmm. because it's so easy when somebody's blowing up in your face to make value judgments about them and make dispositional judgments about them just because this is your first or only interaction with that person so you're automatically kind of thinking oh this person just an angry person they just hate the world Mm -hmm. they woke up just ready to ruin somebody else's day (laughs) yeah you know, and it's not necessarily true. You know, maybe something went wrong. They got some bad news. Maybe they just got laid off from work. Like, who knows what's going on in their life? Um, 
and having that mental resilience can help you be so much of a more compassionate person too which is so important for you know just the world like we need more people like that man yeah dude mm-hmm. that's so beautiful thank you you did a, such a great job of like tying in you know the subject with what we we're talking about and you know meditation as well i think all of it goes hand in hand and it's kind of like the tagline of our show right like we're trying to build better human beings and you know we're trying to share our journey of becoming better human beings and yeah it's so powerful but i think you know bringing it back to mental resilience like a really interesting you know and maybe you can reflect on this in your meditation as well but um, angela duckworth actually has a framework laid out for evaluating yourself as a gritty person and there are four kind of like evaluation points and four aspects of a gritty person per se um so maybe you know next time you're you're kind of reflecting or, or thinking of these things uh, it'd be good to have like these four aspects in mind Um, and so the four aspects are and they really tie well into kind of what you said as well interest practice purpose and hope so i think the first thing is that um, interest and we'll talk about these in order but first thing is interest Um, so if you're a gritty person you must be interested in something and that activity as a whole must be interesting to you so let's say you're trying to be you know the grittiest coder or whatever it is right you actually have to find coding interesting. And that's not to say that, you know, you find everything interesting. Like, first off, nobody likes writing unit tests, right? Nobody wants to write a unit test. We, as an engineer, I know this, right? Um, and so, <laughs> like, you know, nobody wants to, like, you know, run laps forever, right? There are aspects, let's say you're an athlete, right? Like, there are aspects of, of, of the thing that might not be the most interesting to you, but as a whole, the activity has to interest you, right? So that's step one of building grit. Number two is practice. This is kind of self-explanatory, I think. Uh, but I think the, the key point is here is intentional practice, right? So you have to be practicing with a purpose in mind and you have to be practicing, um, you know, with the aim of getting better. You can't just be practicing like rotely, like just playing the same thing over and over. Like it has to be conscious practice where, you know, you're actively trying to challenge yourself and learn new material. Um, the third thing is purpose. Um, and there's a really good way of kind of explaining this purpose but you know purpose is sort of like the larger idea that your work matters so if you're a programmer you know you like if to be the greediest programmer you have to have a sense of purpose you have to say that you know i'm writing code and that code is helping make the world more connected you know or make in in facebook's case you know their tagline but debatable um (laughs) or like you know tesla's tagline is accelerating the world's transition to renewable energy or whatever it is you have to have a purpose and thinking of, uh, there's a really good way to think about purpose. Um, I think uh, I'm going to take another excerpt from the, the grip book, but um, Angela Duckworth says in her book, uh, three bricklayers are asked, what are you doing? The first says, I am laying bricks. The second one says, I'm building a church. And the third one says, I'm building the house of God. The first bricklayer has a job. The second one has a career. And the third one has a calling. So that kind of just explains purpose to me, like really succinctly, like, you know, you have to be able to connect what you're doing with like a larger, larger goal and a larger calling. And then, yeah, so that kind of encapsulates purpose. And the last one um, I mentioned was hope. And this ties into your point uh, about, you know, like the greats and all that, like, you have to have the hope that you can get better advanced in your field and, you know, become the best in your field and that the goals are within reach. Or, like, yeah, whatever those goals that you set for yourself are within your reach. Without that hope, you can't be gritty, you know? And that's why, like, you know, it's not realistic for a lot of people to, or, like, for us to, like, kind of project our goals onto other people because for some people, those things are legitimately not realistic, right? 
like it would be meaningless for me to project you know let's say i have a goal of becoming a professional boxer onto somebody who's like you know missing like an arm or something like that right like mm-hmm. it there has to be somewhat of a level of hope that you can get better and advance in your field and become the best and you know once you have all those four aspects and you embody all those four aspects you are you know on your way to becoming you know one of the greatest people in your field or whatever so right yeah cool thing to think about for sure wow so purpose is such a huge thing and i want to just take a minute to dwell on this a little longer Mm -hmm. because that is one of those things you know like what the whole idea of what like what is our purpose right like why are we here it's such a persistent question in our just in our history and it's so important it's so important and like there's no there's obviously no universal answer for that so you got to find out what your own calling is like what your own purpose is Mm -hmm. and um again like touching back on i believe we talked about this briefly during a previous podcast episode but the blue zones um that exist like around the world where people are living statistically longest one of the commonalities that exist between the residents of these blue zones is that Mm -hmm. they all have a clear defined sense of purpose and you know it didn't it doesn't really seem like it would just be this enormous thing intuitively it's just like whatever you know like oh my purpose is just going to i don't know going to mcdonald's to serve up some burgers (laughs) yeah Um, which you know it's totally valid if, if that is your purpose but that's what I'm saying, and it's it's all in the way that you frame the the service, right? right. Or just the frame the uh, the action. Uh, for example, like the using the bricklaying example that you brought up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's crazy because we found that people who have that clear defined sense of purpose can live up to eight years longer. Wow, eight years is a huge margin just to have this clear sense of what gets you up every day in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. And it's such a powerful thing. And something else that kind of attests to that is that in so many different cultures, there there's this persistent idea of purpose. Mm-hmm. But everybody has kind of like a different name for it and a slightly different idea of what it is. But at the heart of it, it's still the same thing. Mm-hmm. So in Japanese, it's the, um, the, the, the word ikigai, right? Or the sense ikigai. Mm-hmm. Um, in Sanskrit, there's dharma. Like there's so many different um, notions of what purpose is, mm-hmm. but it's so powerful because everybody's thinking about it. Everybody's looking for, sure. for that purpose. And that's why it's important to find it. You know, like people who have, actually, I'm not sure which way this goes. I don't know if it's, if you have mental fortitude, you have a clear sense of purpose, or if you have a clear sense of purpose, the fortitude follows suit. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure where that ties I, into, like, but like it does go hand in hand. Is like, the more of a sense of purpose you have, the easier it is. And like the more likely you are to be, have that sense of mental resilience of fortitude because you know, you have something to strive for, right? Um, yeah. But yeah. Cause it, um, that's why it's also important because the ability to help to find that sense of purpose really does come in through exploring the world as much as possible. And what, like, and I don't mean that like in the literal sense, I go and travel, but that is definitely a great way to do that as well. Mm-hmm. But in just in trying out new things, you know, learn new skills, put yourself in uncomfortable situations. People are tied up in this idea of you find yourself or you, I guess maybe that you find your sense of purpose, but I think you can also create it for yourself too. Mm-hmm. Like we're not just waiting to be discovered. Like we are this 
ball of clay waiting to be molded. Mm-hmm. And I feel that like we can definitely be the architects of that. But the only way to do that is through, you know, having that, the confidence, the esteem, the fortitude to be able to persist through those uncomfortable situations mm-hmm. so you can stand a better uh, chance of discovering for yourself the things that you really are passionate about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super cool. I'm going to switch gears on this really quick. But first off, like, yeah, I think purpose is so key, um, you know, to having that sense of like mental resilience, like you, you definitely need to have a purpose and and all those things that you kind of develop and the strategies that you kind of develop feed into that sense of purpose and allow you to like, kind of accomplish what you want. Um, mm-hmm. But the reason I wanted to switch gears is like kind of bring this to more of like a concrete example of, you know, something that isn't um, maybe like some of the things we talked about in terms of like academic or professional success. And I wanted to talk about the Navy SEALs um, because I think they're just such an interesting case study of like grit and resilience and probably the most resilient human beings like on the planet, you know, in, in whatever capacity that they are. And Particularly, there's a really great book. It's called Barking Up the Wrong Tree uh, by Eric Baker, an ex-Navy SEAL. Um, And highly recommend the book. But for those of you who don't know, uh, the Navy SEALs are essentially like an elite unit of the U.S. Special Forces. They do undercover missions that are like extremely hard, you know, whatever it is. Like they're the ones who killed Osama. Like they, they do like the hardest, most incredible, harrowing, most difficult missions like period on this planet, right? Um, And like in order to be qualified to do those things, which is, you know, very, very selective, uh, they have to go through this thing called Hell Week. Um, it's part oh. of their basic underwater demolition SEAL training. It's called BUDS for short. Uh, but Hell Week, you know, is, well, Hell Week is super crazy. Uh, but, you know, just one of the examples is they have 110 sleepless hours at one point straight. Um, and that's about four days of not sleeping for those of you who are doing the math right now four days of not over four days of not sleeping which is ridiculous and during that time they're bombarded with you know like verbal physical abuse ridiculous like levels of um i don't know just like difficulty and stress stress everything yeah Yeah. honestly i was so interested in navy seals as a kid i used to watch so many youtube videos of this um but you know this this stuff is extremely hard and like taking to to qualify to take this buds training period like is, is a very hard thing to do um and it's like the most physically fit like most toughened marines you know that that do this and it still has a 94 percent attrition rate which means out of 256 seals that start this only 16 graduate from buds which is incredible mm-hmm. right and so um eric baker kind of talks about uh some of the keys that he thinks are like key for building that mental resilience and um kind of like surviving through buds and what he believes are the differences in people who survive buds and survive hell week and versus the people who don't. Um, and I think there's some, some really, really interesting keys. Some of it is like stuff we've talked to as well um, already. But um, the first one that he mentioned was positive self-talk. Um, and this can apply to, you know, not just the Navy SEALs, but like to a salesman, to a student, whatever it is, right? And positive self-talk is so important because like you mentioned, it's just one of those things where in, you need it to build that self-confidence. And without that self-confidence, without that deep belief in yourself that you can get through something, you're not going to be able to get to the other stages of mental resilience, right? Um, so that was one of the keys. Um, the second one that was really interesting was cognitive reappraisal. And this is actually like a, a clinical psychology term, but essentially it's, uh, I think the, the more verbose definition is changing the trajectory of an emotional response by reinterpreting the meaning of it 
but it boils down to telling yourself a different story about what's happening. So like an example of this could be if you keep getting rejected uh, by co-op applications and things like that, don't say that companies don't want you. Instead, reframe it as uh, you're getting better and you will continue to interview and build experiences from these applications. Uh, and then you'll be able to draw upon these experiences for when you get your dream interview later on, you know, like re reframing things in that way um, to like kind of take the best out of every scenario. Right. Um, and this also like obviously extends to positive self-talk as well. Um, and an interesting point about this is also uh, central governance theory. Uh, this is a theory in psychology that's really, really interesting, but it's, you know, it, it's not empirically confirmed, but it's a proposed process in the brain uh, and it's the idea that we self-regulate ourselves and say that we can't do something when physically speaking, we can. And it's actually a very useful evolutionary um, kind of um, tactic. And so the idea is, you know, when you're, most people like look at 110 sleepless hours and they're like, no fucking way. Like four days without sleeping and like I have to log like freaking, you know, 100 pound bags on my back and go for a four mile run every morning. Like, you know, there's no way I can be able to do that. Um, but you know, the fact is like some people can, and the people that can in, in buds aren't necessarily the most physically fit. So essentially like central governance theory is saying that, you know, our brain sees these things and it's saying like, no, we can't do this. Like, no, it's not safe. Um, but in reality, that's just kind of like a mental blocking we have on our physical ability. So it's like those stories you hear about, you know, those moms picking up the cars like off their dead baby or like off their babies in a car. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. And so what those people are doing is overriding their central governance and actually breaking past those barriers and unlocking their you know full strength or full potential whatever it is um so yeah sorry i've already talked about a lot of keys i have two more written down but i just want to hear your thoughts on that too um i've the seals are actually a fantastic uh real life exemplar of what mental fortitude is and what mental fortitude at the highest level looks like mm -hmm. because like you said like hell week is more so about mental resilience than physical resilience um, for sure, because like you will break down physically. The only thing that you can rely on is your mind at that point, because mm -hmm. your body is already like scrapped. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, again, like another famous Navy SEAL that uh, I want to bring up, and we talked about him. Uh, I, I believe two, Don't say three David episodes Goggins. ago. Don't say David Goggins. No, not David okay, Goggins. Cool, it's Jocko Willing. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Jocko Willing. So I, I just want to make an amendment too. Last time I said he was SEAL Team Six Commander, he was actually SEAL Team Three Commander. Oh. So yeah, nah, that's you my just bad. destroyed the integrity of this podcast, man. That's that's one of the things <laughs> I value. You know, I wrote that down in my values book, so I guess I got to cross that out next year. That's why I went on public record to correct myself. <laughs> you know, I'm owning my love mistakes. It, love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, he. Uh, oh my god! So first of all, like I highly, highly recommend his podcast for anybody that's interested in this kind of stuff. He is the. Sorry, what's his podcast called? Uh, the Jocko podcast. The Jocko podcast. Okay, cool. Yeah, so Jocko, J-O-C-K-O, Willink, W-I-L-L-I-N-K. If you Google Jocko, he's going to come up. Cool, yeah. Anyways, um, he is the epitome of discipline. He is discipline incarnate. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, he wakes up at 4 a.m. every day, hits his, like, 100 reps of push-up sit-ups, like, just lifting 1,000-pound weights. He's working up a sweat every morning without fail. He's a superhuman, honestly, just like David Goggins. Mm -hmm. Like, both of these guys are freaking ridiculous. Yeah. The amount of, like, fortitude and resilience that they have. Um, 
but he has so many valuable lessons to give from like his experience within the seals mm-hmm. that i definitely recommend checking that out as well um and like one of his students which i want to like in my head this is one of the examples of what the highest levels of fortitude and resilience can really get you mm-hmm. and like attitude too above all else too so one of his um not students one of his like uh officers under him um and no no frick not andrew yang johnny kim <laughs> uh, <laughs> topical topical i'll take it <laughs> yeah. uh, johnny kim this guy i i ran into i don't know i just heard about his story like a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and recently Jocko interviewed him on his podcast but this guy is crazy man like he's honestly like a hero of mine looking at what he's been able to accomplish mm-hmm. and um I highly recommend his Jocko's podcast episode with Johnny Kim cuz like honestly like it it tore me down like just listening to this guy's story of his early childhood and the shit that he had to go through no was honestly like I honestly I want to give a trigger warning now cuz like if anyone's been through any abuse or anything it's going to be a hard one to sit through for sure, for sure. but he just to give a brief synopsis of his life after high school he went joined the navy um joined the seals after that joined uh, got his bachelor's in mathematics from stanford if i'm not mistaken yeah. and then after that after that he went to harvard med school after that he became an astronaut no so this guy has and he was not just like any regular soldier too he was like a heavily decorated soldier in um the this during his time in the seals mm-hmm. And this guy has like three lifetime achievements before the age of like 35, which is freaking crazy. Incredible. To see, right? Yeah. But like that's what mental fortitude can get you. Mm-hmm. Truly, if you can withstand all the hours, all those sleepless nights, like the 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 stress which keeps you on the verge of breaking every day, you will reap the benefits in spades mm-hmm. like once everything pans out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's all about breaking yeah. the, those goals into little goals and keeping keeping at them man like yeah it's so yeah. incredible actually i have a i have a really interesting quote on that too um there's a harvard professor uh theresa ambile and amble i think uh, honestly i don't know how to pronounce her name uh but uh, i might have typoed <laughs> it in my notes too <laughs> but it is what it is um <laughs> theresa a harvard professor um she actually in her research she's a psychology professor as well um she she found that life satisfaction is 22% more likely for those with a steady stream of minor accomplishments than those who express only interest in major accomplishments and i think that speaks mm-hmm. to exactly what you said about the whole you know like setting those small goals and breaking them up and really giving yourself a roadmap and you know that builds momentum that builds like you know kind of self confidence and that builds like it ultimately that um that mental fortitude so that's super important but kind of going you know kind of back to those navy seals man there's so many of these guys that are just like the epitome of mental resilience like i was going to talk about david goggins and you know another trigger warning um he had a incredibly tough childhood like incredibly tough um you should definitely re- listen to listen to or read his book it's called can't hurt me i actually listened to an audible shout out audible you know we're not sponsored yet uh but i'm going to shout out audible <laughs> It was great listening to his book especially because it was narrated by him and his mm-hmm. audiobook is kind of like a hybrid audiobook podcast where he actually like does a little bit of interviews during his audiobook too which is super super dope. So highly recommend listening to that. Um 100%. But kind of going back on that, you know, central governance theory, David Goggins popularized the 40% rule. 
which is, you know, at any given moment, um, in terms of your physical abilities, like you're only really exerting 40% of what you're truly capable of. And so that kind of goes with like the whole idea of like, you know, those mothers like lifting off the thing and then, you know, the 110 sleepless hours of the Navy SEALs go through. Um, and it's actually been proven as well um, where, you know, uh, weightlifters are given uh, in an experiment where we're given caffeine as a placebo in order to help them perform. Uh, but they were actually not given caffeine. They were just told that they were given caffeine. They were like, you know, like, this is ca some caffeine. It'll help you lift harder tomorrow or like in, in a couple hours, like drink this cup of coffee or like take this pill. It's like a huge dose of caffeine. And no matter what pill they took, they ended up having better lifts. Um, so it's mm. definitely a lot of it is mental. A lot of this is these like roadblockers we put in ourselves and like tell ourselves that we can't get past, but in reality we can. Um, and, you know, we're kind of getting close to time here, but I have, I have a couple other tips I wanted to share as well. Um, I think especially kind of, you know, for those of you who have been able to overcome things and, you know, maybe you're at like a, a little bit of a, a tougher place now. I think something that's super important and David Goggins says this in his book is, uh, remembering what you've been through and how that has strengthened your mindset can lift you out of a negative brain loop and help you bypass those weak one second impulses where you give it. So the way he does this is he says he keeps like a cookie jar where instead of cookies, you know, like Chips Ahoy and Oreos and stuff, he actually keeps a jar of things he's overcome. And when he reach, when he feels Damn. like something's tough, he reaches into that jar and he reads something that he's overcome before. And it just like reminds him that he is mentally tough, you know, that he is like a fucking beast or whatever it is. And he can get past it. Oh, I love is. that. Yeah. So I, I love that. You know, I move oh. around a little bit too much to actually have a physical jar, but I'm high key thinking of keeping an iCloud notes for this, you know? Yeah. yeah. That is such a fan, like such a beautiful, just constant reminder that, you know, you are stronger than you realize mm -hmm. it's lose. It's easy to lose sight of that in like times of adversity sometimes. Cause mm -hmm you know, we forget about where we were at our highest points. Definitely, definitely. So, yeah, I think that's a good place to leave it off at, sure. unless you have any other closing thoughts. Man, I have, I have, I have a few. I'm just going to mention them quick. Uh, another guy that oh, yeah, absolutely. has, like, incredible resilience is Michael Phelps. And uh, oh, yeah. Michael Phelps talks a lot about habits. And, you know, Michael Phelps is notorious for doing the same thing for, like, every single, like, race or swim meet or whatever he's doing, like, for up to, like, three yeah. or four hours before down to like the exact second the song plays in his headphones and things like that. Um, and there's a really good quote also uh, that he says, the actual race is just another step in a pattern that started earlier that day and has been nothing but victories. Winning the race is a natural extension of that. So it just kind of speaks to the, you know, the whole like set those little roadblocks and blaze through them and you know, you're going to be set up to succeed. And then yeah. finally, the only like, okay, three last points really quick. Um, building more mental resilience, you know, is about a lot of these mental strategies that we talked about. But in addition to that, there are, you know, some, some real things you can do in your life to help increase your chances of developing that mental resilience. And those are improving your physical health by eating better, sleeping better and exercising, meditation, mm -hmm. and building strong relationships and support systems. And, you know, even on their own, those things are valuable things. Um, but all of these things will help you kind of build that mental resilience and fortitude. So just, mm -hmm. just some closing thoughts to like kind of think about this more holistically as it like fits into the rest of your life. Absolutely. And then remember it, chase the dream, not the competition. You don't worry about what everybody else is doing. You're on the right path. I think that's a good point to leave it at. Yeah, man. Beautiful, beautiful.
Alright, yeah, see you guys unless later. Unless you have any more thoughts. No, Are you good? No, I don't have any good thoughts. Right. I don't want to ruin that moment. <laughs> let's, let's keep that. I'm a, I'm, the the outro is starting right now. The outro is starting right now. Alright, <laughs> sounds good. Deuces, everyone.